the day long. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes in the valley in darkest of night, God leads his dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives us song in the... Our brother Gordon alone will lead us now in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us unite our hearts in prayer and thanksgiving. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity that Thou hast granted unto us to gather together around Thy Holy Word. We ask Thee, O Heavenly Father, that Thou would receive the thanks that we offer from sincere hearts for all the blessings of past days. Thank Thee for the gift of faith that thou hast instilled in our hearts through thy Son. We thank thee, O Heavenly Father, for the protecting hand over thy children. We thank thee that thou art the keeper of thy kingdom. And we ask even this evening, O Father, that thou would grant unto us the power of thy Spirit to make known of thy kingdom, which has been established in righteousness through thy only begotten Son, our Lord. We ask thee, O Heavenly Father, anoint these tongues of clay that stand before thy word and thy throne, that they might proclaim thy word unto thy honor and glory and unto the salvation of souls. Grant unto those that have come to hear the word the power to hear, that they might receive it into their heart, and it would cause their mouth to glorify thee in spirit and in truth, through thy Son. We ask this in Jesus' name, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the communion of the Holy Ghost, and the fellowship of saints abide with us now and forever. Amen. Before we turn into God's word this evening, I would like to bring unto you the greetings of the children of God from the southwestern United States, from Los Angeles, and from Phoenix. We have opportunity to travel to each locality once a month, and everyone there desired 
to send their greetings to you, and they express their thoughts and their prayers on behalf of all that would gather here, that God would be glorified. So receive their greetings as those from fellow travelers, brothers and sisters in the Lord. This evening I would ask that all would remember this weak vessel of clay that stands before you. It seems as though I have never been in this place before. It is as if it is the first opportunity granted unto me to speak God's word. It is much fear and trembling within. I have to question that why God has placed the portion of word before me that he has, but I have not been able to turn from it. So we have to believe that there is a purpose in it, and we believe, as the word tells us, that all scripture is given of God. So we will turn to it in prayer, that God's name would be glorified and that we would be edified, and that beginning here at this speaker, we would examine ourselves in light of this word. It is found recorded in John's first epistle in the second chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. We will read through the end of the chapter, but we will touch on only those things as God gives unto us enlightenment. We will read in Jesus' name. Little children, it is the last time and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But we have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Amen. I think of John's writings here, 
how he expresses over and over again my little children I believe that John experienced the trials of faith that he was able to write in this manner I believe he understood that portion very well unto him where it is said that in understanding be as men but in malice be as little children that we would be forgiving one to another because of our errors and our disagreements but we see that John was not what we might call pacifist with this nature of love he was first established in truth in the full stature of man pertaining to the true word of God he knew where his salvation was he did not waver but he also saw that which was the enemy of his soul that it was so close to him that it was in his very bosom the anger that could come forth so readily from within how often I think when the word tells us of the fruits of the spirit tells us of the patience the long-suffering the forbearance and I turn and I examine this heart and I have to say even at this moment none of these exist in my frame would that then destroy the faith that God has instilled into the heart I do not believe it does because if we read that aright it tells us that these are the fruit of the spirit but how cunning the enemy of the soul is that he would try and turn God's word as he did in the beginning with Eve in the garden to try and cause us to think that we are going to be holy in this flesh that we can begin to manifest or imitate the fruits of the spirit with this flesh they are of the spirit if they come forth from any of us then we have to acknowledge that it is the work of the spirit it is not the work of this flesh regardless of how we might desire to show forth even as the world would say to put our best foot forward we know in relation to God's word it is a futile effort but we must totally and completely rely on the power of the Spirit of God to intercede for us in our every motion in this life in our every dealing one with the other or we know that we err how quickly can anger flare up we don't even have to meditate upon it do we we don't even have to consider it but if someone crosses us immediately we can react but we thank God that he has sent on to us his spirit to show us how to deal in these matters that how we can be freed of the error 
of even anger. And we know that if that which is the closest to us can be healed, then we know that all other failings and shortcomings and sins can also be overcome. And we know that it is not by our power that we are able to manifest the power of the Spirit, for the Spirit is the gift of God given unto us because of his Son who was faithful and obedient in all things. When it comes to obedience, there is but one that has satisfied the Father. It is his Son. And I believe that in this obedience lies the essence of this portion of God's word that is before us. For the enemy of the soul is so cunning that he comes, as the word teaches us, as an angel of light. And we can go right to the beginning, how he appeared unto Eve, even though the word tells us that he was a cunning serpent. We have to assume that he was so cunning that he spoke to Eve. He made promises to Eve. So he certainly did not come in the appearance of evil, but he came in the appearance of good. His promises were something to behold. They were attractive to the flesh. I don't believe his tactics are any different today. I believe he entices each of us with the same approach that he had with Eve. John here begins to write in his time to acknowledge the fact that it is the last time. And we know that according to God's word, the last time started after the Lord ascended into heaven. This was the beginning of the end times because even as we read the writings of the apostles, they even expected his coming at any time. To them it was the end time. Why would this be? Simply because the promise that God made in the Garden of Eden had now been fulfilled. The devil could no more dispute before the throne of God as to the promises that God had made pertaining to the redemptive work through his Son. All things were fulfilled of that time. But as we know that the devil, even though he was cast out of heaven, was now cast into the earth. And we know that he came but for one purpose, to make war among the saints. And we understand that he is rampant in the world. Even though the world would recognize him, yet they have no concern for him. They are lost in their transgressions. But what of us, the children of God, who are desiring to be delivered from this world and this life? Here is his playground. Here is where he tries to accomplish his greatest works. 
The word tells us that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, that he is powerful, powerful in the earth. Sometimes it is easy to recognize him, but at other times he does not seem to roar as a lion, but the word tells us, as it is said, he comes as an angel of light, bringing great promises. And he brings them of such, in such a way to try and manifest or imitate the fruits of the Spirit. Something to present in goodness to his fellow man. He is cunning. But now, how does he go about this? I believe John here, when he writes of these last times, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, this is nothing new. He's telling us you have heard this, you have understood this before from times past, but he is to come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. The word tells us that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. So we know that even though the promises were made unto the children of Israel, they could not recognize him. They could not accept him. Because the enemy of the soul had convinced them that they already had something so great, it had already manifested itself into their hearts that they were satisfied with that which they had. Therefore, they could not receive the Lord, for he did not come in the manner in which they anticipated or in the manner in which they desired for him to come. He would have to come as a king to be recognized. He could have no appearance of fault. He would have to fit their mold and their thinking. I believe that exists yet today, that man judges one another by outward appearance, by outward acts and deeds. He does not judge according to the heart. We are not able to see into one another's hearts. The only thing that we have to gauge by is what proceeds out of the mouth. The word tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is the abundance of the heart if we begin to examine ourselves? The word tells us the only acceptable thing is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto the Father for the gift of grace through his Son. This is what is acceptable unto him. But we know that man cannot receive this. He wars against it. He resists it because it does not fit his liking. It does not fit the mold that he has tried to place upon every being. I can't help but go back to that which was the love of God in the beginning, in his creation, where the word tells us that he made man. Word tells us, let us make man in our own image and likeness. What is it to be created in the image of God? What is God's image to us? When we think of God, how do we picture him? 
Is it not that he is eternal? He is forever and ever. This is the image of God. The word tells us he has created man in that image. He has granted unto us a soul that will never die. It will never die. God created it. It will remain forever. But the destiny of that soul is what God is most concerned with. So the word tells us in our image and likeness. Here now we have the love of God in his creation toward us. In his likeness. What is his likeness? Holiness. The word teaches us be ye holy as I am holy. The likeness of God is holiness. But how it overwhelms our hearts when we think the word tells us, let us make man in our own image and likeness. God was not alone. If he had been but himself, what happened what would have happened when Eve fell and Adam followed her enticement to also eat of the forbidden fruit? They could not have measured up to God's likeness of holiness. But we can rejoice in our hearts that God was not alone, but his son was there. We were created in that likeness. But he is our holiness. He is that Lamb of God which was slain before the foundation of the earth was cast, that he might redeem us from our sins, that he might be our holiness from the very creation unto judgment day, until we are rid of this vessel of clay that we possess here in this life. Now John, when he deals with the Antichrist, he tells us here that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manif made manifest that they were not all of us. Now he is telling us here that they are not some foreign body, someone that, shall we say, I shudder to say it, that we are acquainted with. This is what John is telling us. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ how do we understand to be found in his name? We know that his name is proclaimed throughout the earth. Are we to understand, as some men would teach, that we only have to confess his name and we are saved? That was the instruction I was given when I was in an awakened condition. 
when the fires of hell were burning before me. And I would talk to my worldly friends of various religions. And I would say to them how I had prayed so earnestly to God that he would deliver me from my sins. And they would instruct me, but then you are saved if you have prayed in this manner, if you have believed that Christ died for your sins. I tried to believe that. It didn't work. Oh, there was some improvement in my life through prayer, without a doubt. And the devil came to me very readily and said, See how your life is improving? You have ceased from this sin and from that. See, you're getting better. All you have to do is keep praying. There was only one problem with this. The sins were yet upon my conscience. God was yet speaking to me through my conscience. There was no rest. But we see now when this instruction is given in this manner, they didn't know any better. They couldn't see the kingdom of God. They recognized the kingdom of heaven, as the word teaches, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. But I believe that the word differentiates very plainly between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. For the word defines unto us the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is one thing to have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ upon your lips. But it is another matter completely to have the sin, the guilt of sin, removed from your conscience. Man cannot accomplish this. With all the confession of his mouth, he cannot accomplish this. It is only by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by which this takes place. There is no other means that sin is removed but by the shedding of blood. And we know that the Old Testament worship typifies unto us the shedding of blood. That when the blood sacrifice was made, offered, for the sins of the people and for the priest, it was sprinkled upon the altar and the sacrifice and all the vessels pertaining to that sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And the word tells us that if the blood of bulls and goats would remove sin, how much more the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Because that first offering of blood was of the Old Testament in promise. And it was believed God granted unto them faith. But in the New Testament, it is not the blood of bulls and goats, but it is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed upon Calvary's cross. And it is shed yet today when we preach the forgiveness of sins 
in his holy name through his shed blood. Here is the entrance into the kingdom of God when God has humbled the heart of man to receive the gift of grace through the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we know, the enemy of the soul is so cunning that he will even sanction the preaching of this gospel. The only problem is that it isn't broad enough. The accusation is that you are too judgmental. You are too narrow-minded. You are limiting the power of the Spirit of God. I shudder to think what that type of statement can bring. It is as if man can dictate to the Spirit of where it should tread and what it should accomplish. We are beggars of grace, dearly beloved. We are not instructors of grace. John here tells of tells unto us the power that is given unto us to receive this grace. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Here is the revelation of the grace of God unto us through his Spirit, that we would be found in his likeness that we would be the holiness of God through the indwelling spirit and the power of the gospel of remission of sins would yet remain by the power of the spirit of God and not by the arm of flesh because man can duplicate a doctrine man can duplicate that which is visible but man cannot convict another of sin. Man cannot remove sin or the guilt of sin from another man's conscience. Neither can man place sin upon another man's conscience. And yet we see all of these that man attempts to do in the name of righteousness. I'm only speaking this because I feel these within. This is the warring that is within. I don't believe any flesh is different. God created us all the same. The enemy of the soul attacks us all in the same manner. He is cunning. He knows where our fence is the lowest. He has but one aim, to destroy. He doesn't care how he does it. John experienced this within himself. That's why he was able to write this. If we think for a moment of what John is writing here, he is telling us that it is to come. The fullness of it is to come in the sense of reality before the Lord's coming.
This is what he's trying to tell us. I think back of an elder brother that asked me a question many years ago pertaining to a portion of scripture. I did not have the faintest idea what it meant. I asked him if he would explain it to me, and he said he could not. It's over 20 years ago. I would say that maybe three, four times through this 20-some years, this passage crossed my mind, and each time I would just wonder at it. What does it mean? And I had to leave it alone. Then very recently, I was driving down the road in my meditations, and something struck me, and this passage came. Let me read it to you just to consider for a moment. In the fourth chapter of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is writing in the condition of the church in these end times. And he describes them in this manner. And in that day, seven women shall lay hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. We understand Isaiah was writing as he refers to them the daughters of Zion. This John that is writing of the Antichrist spirit refers to them in his letter of the Revelation as the seven churches. These are depicted as the bride of Christ. Within that church, within the woman, exists now here in the eyes of Isaiah as he saw it, these seven churches, among them, he tells us, there are those that begin to say, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by thy name. That is to say, we do not want to be separated from that which is the true word of God, but we also do not want to follow that as a set pattern. We want to have our own robe, that which we can esteem unto ourselves, because we can prove it through this word. We will eat our own food. They only desire to dwell in that which satisfies their flesh. But they desire to be called by that name, for they know the holiness of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride. The acknowledgement of the gospel 
is there. Again, I want to tell you, these are the temptations of my own heart and my own reasoning also. How easily the enemy of the soul would come and tell me, eat your own food, wear your own apparel. You don't owe anything to any man. How far can we go along that thinking before we don't even need God? The fellowship of saints and the communion of the Holy Ghost. Where is it to be found? But where is there? There is the like faith. The gospel which has redeemed us. If we are narrow-minded to say this is the only means by which man can be saved, then let us be narrow-minded. For it seems to be the mind of the Heavenly Father. This is the only way he has approved and set forth. But as we know here, John tells us they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest they were not all of us. He is telling us that the work of repentance was not proper. Again, we don't want to begin to measure the work of any man's repentance. But we know that when it is of the Spirit of God, it will remain of the Spirit of God. It will not wander from that path. Because it tells us here, because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. The word tells us, let every man be a liar, that God may be true. But man is not willing to admit that he is a liar. It is too degrading, it's too humiliating to be called a liar. What was the Lord Jesus Christ called? He who had no sin. He who is our righteousness. He took the title willingly that we might be free of it. He took all of our sins, our transgressions upon him. It is not able, we are not able to place them upon him. We do not have the ability, but he took them because he wanted to do the will of the Father, because he was there when God created us. The Old Testament was in promise. The New Testament did not become effective until the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the Old Testament depicts unto us the will of God. It is not the will of God that any should perish, 
but all should come unto repentance. The New Testament is the power of that will, and it is sealed in blood that the vilest can draw nigh unto him. In all of our weaknesses, in all of our infirmities, come freely with all of our sins. But how cunning the enemy of the soul is again. He came to me so often and told me, your sins are so horrible, no man could understand them, that you would even be ashamed unto everyone in the church if they ever knew what your sins were. This is the enemy of the soul, how he comes to us, because he wants to build our pride that we wouldn't open our mouths. But the Lord does not look upon us in this manner. When we receive the grace of repentance, he gives unto us the power to put away those sins. And he gives the power unto the children of God to accept us because the devil told them the same thing. We are all sinners, saved by grace. Let us never wander from that. But let us always draw nigh unto the fountain that speaks unto us of forgiveness. The Lord Jesus Christ is reaching out to us continually with his grace. And he grants unto us the power to overcome the temptations of the devil and to war against his cunningness when he comes and speaks to us with such power. But the word also tells us of the nature that he will be able to speak in these last times. Jesus tells us that he beheld Satan as falling lightning from heaven because Satan was a fallen angel the Lord knew of his rebellion in heaven. But he tells us that in this end time, he will come as an angel of light. He will come sitting in the throne of God, saying he is God, exalting himself above all that is called God. This is how powerful he will come. And says that he will as draw fire down from heaven. The Antichrist is going to preach this word in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be powerful. It will only be powerful, though, remember, unto the intellect, that which the devil challenged in the Garden of Eden. But unto us, who are of the kingdom of God, who enjoy the righteousness and the peace and the joy of the Holy Ghost, the word tells us we will know all things. We will recognize it. And if we recognize it, we speak of it. Because we are all watchmen upon the wall of Zion. And when we see the sword of the enemy coming, 
we make the cry. If we do not make the cry, we become guilty also of that sword. All the blood that would be lost because of that sword is upon us. Tonight I want to be free of that sword to warn that the Antichrist is appearing. I have felt his presence trying to overtake my heart also. Because in my flesh I would rather love and embrace everybody that I might have friendship and fellowship with all men. But the spirit that is within begins to resist. When the spirit comes in the nature that it would belittle the power of the gospel of the remission of sins. The spirit within cannot receive that type of doctrine. We yet love those souls that are beguiled, but we cannot accept the doctrine. That is contrary to that which we have received. The Apostle Paul says that though he or an angel from heaven would preach another gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. John later in his epistle tells us that those that have erred in that manner, we shouldn't even pray for them. That's how severe it is when we begin to resist the gospel of the remission of sins through Christ's name and shed blood. May it be that we can yet in these end times shout forth from the walls of Zion when we see the enemy approaching, trying to destroy that which the Lord has established in his kingdom the righteousness and the peace and the joy of the Holy Ghost. That's what the enemy is trying to take away from us. May God yet, in his infinite wisdom, manifold grace, abundantly pardon yet all who would come unto this blood. Give unto all of us grace to have forgiveness one toward the other even as Jude writes in his epistle that we desire to save some whose garments have been spotted by this false attempt to imitate the gospel message. May it yet burn within us that we would have love of the nature that God had for us for the word tells us that it is not that we love God, but that he has loved us. And he tells us that we ought to love our neighbor as ourself. And the word tells us that no man has ever hated his own flesh, but he loveth it, it and cherisheth it. That's why he tells us if we can love our neighbor as ourself, it will be an abundant love. But we know we are not able to do that of ourselves. It is one of the fruits. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Let us allow the Spirit to perform this fruit within us, that we might have full fellowship one with the other. And God the Father is glorified through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
In Jesus' name, amen.